by the Oregon Business Editorial Team. I'm Linda Baker, editor of Oregon Business. Welcome to the latest edition of the Oregon Business Broadcast. Last week, I sat down with newly minted entrepreneurs, Deborah Kane and Patrick Quinton. Deborah is the CEO of GoCamp, an Airbnb-style camper van rental business. And Patrick is the CEO of Dweller, a company that helps homeowners build accessory dwelling units. Before they started their companies, Deborah and Patrick were both working in government. Patrick was the chair of the Portland Development Commission, now known as Prosper Portland, and Deborah was the head of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Farm to School program. Both Deborah and Patrick have held a variety of leadership roles in the public and private sector. We chatted about their new ventures, what it's like to move from a government job into entrepreneurship, and how all organizations, government, nonprofits, and businesses are becoming more purpose-driven in an entrepreneurial era. So here are a few excerpts from our conversation. Deborah and Patrick, thank you for being here today. Let's start with your origin stories. When did you first get get the idea to start your own companies? And uh, let's see, Patrick, why don't we start with you? Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me here. It's it's great to talk about this stuff. You know, um, in my previous role, my government role, we actually interfaced a lot with the business community and the entrepreneur communities in particular. And I've always had a secret kind of jealousy fascination with entrepreneurs. So in the back of my, my mind, I always thought that'd be kind of, kind of cool to do that someday. And so, um, so, you know, when I, when I left my my previous role at at what's now Prosper Portland, it, it was definitely something that I thought if, if I'm going to do it, I'm, I need to do something probably now. Um, and so I did did take a little time to be open to ideas, and thankfully this this opportunity came along. Uh, 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 my bit this business was started with a with a partner, and, and he really brought in the. The construction experience, the experience in, in having to like build ADUs from the ground up, and um, uh, and he wanted to partner with somebody who had government experience and somebody who could think through some of the policy issues and whatnot. So, um, so it, it was definitely the the timing was right for me to be pitched on on working on a startup and. Um, so I, I dove in. Mm-hmm. All right. So the timing and it was cool and fun. <laughs> Deborah, what's your origin story? Well, fun plays a big role in mine. Um, I, I would say I got the idea to start Go Camp perhaps the day after the presidential election in 2016. So at the time I was uh, serving in the Obama administration and we just had our presidential election. So it was very clear to me that I was going to be out of a job. And I was a little overwhelmed by the the political discourse, if you will, throughout the entirety of 2016, and I was feeling very much like I needed and wanted a break from from policy work. And so I sat down and I said, "All right, Deborah, what do you like to do besides, you know, your food? I had been working in the in the field of food and agriculture, as you mentioned. So what what besides food and agriculture gets you excited?" And the answer, honestly, was camping. I just love camping and. 
uh, I love camping, and yet, uh, you know, I, it's one of those things where you love it when you're doing it. But the process of getting ready to camp was always a little overwhelming. The grabbing the tent and making sure you had the stakes and the sleeping pads and the sleeping bags and the cooler and the whole thing. And I've been driving down the road a lot, noticing these Sprinter vans and Eurovans and all these really cool camper vans that honestly are super expensive to buy, but that I really wanted. And I thought, um, huh, Airbnb is so successful. Why isn't there an Airbnb model for camper vans? Most of the people who who own these really cool camper vans, they're not their primary vehicle. You know, they're, they're not commuting to their, to their office in their Sprinter van. It's probably just sitting in their driveway. I wonder if those folks might like an opportunity to earn a little income off this asset of theirs. And thus was born the idea for Go Camp. Making camping easy, having fun. Good tagline. So both of you are really working in the so-called sharing economy now, right? Because Patrick, your business also sort of draws on uh, a certain shared element, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of sharing. I mean, I think the, the the most novel part of our business is the idea that we, our company, will build an ADU in your backyard at no cost to you, and mm-hmm. then and then we manage it and and uh, rent it out and share share the rental income. And so, yeah, people are kind of sharing their backyard with us, but it's it's a it's obviously a legal and. A, financial transaction uh, but it, for us it was it was as much about lowering the barriers for people to benefit from the income from ADUs mm-hmm. as it was to mm-hmm. you know kind of kind of take advantage of what we saw going on in the sharing economy mm-hmm. what now explain it to me you will come to my house and build an ADU in my backyard and then what, what do I have to do I just get to rent it or you get to rent it yeah so so the, there's two two major elements to our to our business that I, I think are are new. Um, one is we're we're building our ADUs offsite, okay. prefab, and um, we believe. I mean, it's a it's a pretty widely accepted uh, method of construction, uh, but it's just not widely used in the ADU world. Hmm. Um, uh, but it it has the potential of lowering costs and also making the whole process a lot more efficient. So, so you show up in front of my house one day with a already constructed yeah. unit. Yeah, yeah, and and and. And while it's being built in the factory, we've prepared your site and poured the foundation and right. done utility hookups. And then the unit shows up fully constructed, and we crane it in over the top of your house. Oh, my gosh. Attach it to the foundation. Okay, okay. I'm so in. The, the entire time on site uh, for you as a homeowner is, you know, it should be around 30 days, but let's just say 30 to 45 days. And you're total. getting my permit too, so uh-huh. you're working with the city. So and so we handle everything, and so we, we do that installation, and and um, if you're buying it from us, it's turnkey. So then we hand the keys to you, you, go, you have a rentable unit, and you really haven't done done much, uh, uh, to do much on your own. Um, if if we're building and owning it, what we've done is ex- executed a, a lease with you. So we're basically leasing your backyard. And so we'll we'll install that unit in in, in your backyard. Um, we're paying for everything, and then once it's installed, our our property manager then steps in and they take responsibility for managing the unit. But they'll find a tenant, and they'll manage the unit like any other rental unit. And and every month they they share with you thirty uh, percent of the gross rent. Uh, so I'm in, and I think I want you to own it and build it. I'll take my 30% for like maybe the next 10 years while I'm still in Portland 
and then I sell my house and yeah so we so first off we execute the lease we execute is 25 years because that's the, okay that's the length of time that that it we need in order to pay ourselves back Got it. we don't do anything else but your lease includes a buyout option okay so you can buy us out at any time okay. there's a buyout schedule that's included in the lease so you know it tells you when you're one you're two you're three what what that number is and so you can at any time you can pay that price and we go away and you own it um and then, and then if you sell the property, it's a it's a recorded yeah it's recorded it's a, on your title. It's not it doesn't trump a mortgage or anything like that, but it has to be addressed. So, well, so I would think it would be a real asset. Yeah. So our assumption it. is either yeah. is either you buy us out at that time or buy us out of part as part of the closing closing or the new buyer comes right. in and says, oh, I like this deal. I'll step into the lease, right. which we're happy to do as well. And do and, you have any in um, Southeast Portland by Reed College? Well, uh, we're installing one of our first units in Southeast, but it's a little bit east of there. Right, you should. So, so, right, so you need be, a prototype to yeah, show people. I want to that, be, right? We're getting there. We're getting I want to be, um, so what number would I be if I get in line now? Uh, you'd be, you know, you'd be in our first 10. We're, we're, we're probably have five really ahead of you. So. you now, entrepreneurs are very efficient. I'm so, so excited. <laughs> I'm going to be in the top 10. I see. That's right. Do I get a commission as a broker who brought the two of <laughs> you there's together? There's a few things that have to work out. You know, a standardized unit that is uh, that's this built This wasn't enough to start sitting to, here. To drop in into us. So you're probably have to check out your backyard. All right. We do a little bit of investigation. You can um, put it right where my, um, I have a little garden shed right now. So if you could just rip that out for me. Yeah. I mean, like to Linda's earlier point, it's waiting on on the private sector, because it really is private sector industry, to come in and, and figure these things out. I mean, and figure out how to scale it. And, and we just, we, we don't see enough enough businesses that really are, are thinking about both the financing side of it and this, this kind of efficiency part of it, the scaling part of it. People aren't thinking of it as a scalable industry. Okay, I'll talk to my husband. Though I've already decided. So. That's right. <laughs> It'll just, all of a sudden there'll be a, there'll be a truck out front and he'll be like, what the? I will inform my husband <laughs> when I get home later today. <laughs> There's going to be a, Thanks, someone living in our backyard and we, go, we don't get to decide who they are. <laughs> well, they have to like dogs. Now that you are in the entrepreneurial space, what surprises you the most about running your own business? That surprises me that well to calling myself an entrepreneur in the first place <laughs> I uh, it's funny you know again probably 15 years in the nonprofit space where everyone would always say to me oh you're so entrepreneurial you know and I would get the same thing when I was in the government sector and now I get to take off the all and just say I am an entrepreneur yesterday I went to the um, actually at my member orientation meeting for the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network um, so honestly, for me, it's just putting that hat on and owning it and saying, yeah, it, right now it really is all about me. I am a single entrepreneur. So, Patrick, what about you? What surprises you the most? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's really the day-to-day -day life of being an entrepreneur and, and um, just the highs and lows and the you-do-everything aspect of mm -hmm. your job. Um, you know, you, you go from a role in which... You're you're trying to to kind of move this big base of resources and staff around to get outcomes, and so there's a certain um, kind of power in that and, and efficacy, as I like to say, and um, and so that's fulfilling in a certain way, but you're really removed from from the work, and as an entrepreneur, it's all you, and so that's both you know gratifying, but also like 
you know, my God, I got to get this done, you know. And so it's it really is. It's it's far more of a daily. Uh, it struggles not the right word, but just daily kind of experience of of here's what has to get done, and I have to get it done, or my partner and I have to get it done. And so in that sense, it's it's just more real. Like it really is. It's it's just your daily life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of you know looking left over your shoulder, looking right, and then realizing, oh shoot, <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> That's yeah. right. You're the boss, and uh, everyone else. Yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, I tell people. Yes. Particularly my kids, I you know I my job was to go to meetings. That was my old job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt like I accomplished more and had a bigger value. To you know, I added a lot of value in my old role. But if somebody looked at my day and said, "What do you do with your time?" I go, "I went to meetings. That was my life." Mm-hmm. And and so that's you know that's a very different existence now. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking of kids, you both have teenage children, uh, circling back to sort of our entrepreneurial era. Do you think your kids view government and the private sector differently than you did when you were their age and specifically around issues of entrepreneurship when you were teenagers? Were you thinking about being an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial? I honestly can't remember what I was thinking about as a teenager, sad to say. Um, I'll say that my my kids have watched me make this move from the government sector to being an entrepreneur. And when I was with USDA, I would very frequently fly back and forth to, to Washington, D.C., and occasionally they'd make the trip out with me, and there'd be the you know, occasional visit to the White House. And I think they were charmed by the idea of mom having this job in Washington, D.C. I have been tickled lately to hear the pride in their voice talking about go camp in the same way they were talking about the fact that my mom you know gets to plant the white house garden with the first lady they seem as excited about go camp as they did about this you know this big prestigious federal job and i caught my son the other day my 14 year old son uh watching or watching listening to online courses in business from stanford because he had told me that he was going to, you know, he too was going to be an entrepreneur, but he was going to make a lot more money than I was. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, I'll go out to dinner with him every now and then, and he's asking me about my return on investment and what I'm doing with my social marketing. And, you know, and then I have to say, um, tell me about social marketing. <laughs> you know, what should I be doing? <laughs> so my kids have been I, just, you know, huge champions the whole way. See. Maybe they can help you with the tech savvy element. Um, Deborah and I were speaking earlier off the record about uh, <laughs> <laughs> staying up to date with current technology. So I've had some unsolicited feedback as well on yeah. the social media side of my business. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad, that's not how you get followers. You know, that's right. you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, they, they definitely have uh-huh. have insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like it though when my kids are the first to give me a thumbs up on my Instagram posts. <laughs> but when it happens during the school day, it makes me wonder. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of years ago, I had an interesting conversation with Brooke Steger, the former policy director for Uber. She said she used to work for the city of Los Angeles, but became frustrated with the slow pace of government. So she started working for Uber. And of course, nobody can say that Uber moves at a snail's pace. But I think that's a common complaint, that government is slow, business and fast. We hear that all the time. Do you think that's true? And is there anything wrong with government moving slowly? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's generally right. I think the answer is a far more nuanced than that. I mean, government still has a scale of, and, and, a, and a access to resources that few businesses ever achieve. I mean, Uber obviously has gotten to that point, and there's other examples. But, 
you know, right now, I, I mean, my daily struggle is to get one one or two units built, and, and we, you know, it's, it's part of what we believe is the process to get to a scalable model where we're building tens of units and hopefully hundreds of units, but, you know, so there's no impact right now, and so, you know, government can still, if it moves in the right way and, and there's the right decisions are made, can still be a pretty, efficient's not the word, but they can get stuff done at a scale that, that most most private companies can't get done, um, you know, you know, so, so, I, so I think it, you know, I think this is why the, this, this either or um, kind of way of thinking about it isn't really appropriate. I do think, like we talked about a minute ago, it, we need, we need, we need all of this. I mean, in the, just to kind of dive into the housing world really quick, if everybody who looks at our housing crisis says we need a lot more housing supply, but the supply alone isn't going to, like just, just adding supply is not going to ensure that there are, a, there are enough truly affordable units. Those are subsidized units by government. So government has to be producing, it can't stop. It actually needs to produce as many truly affordable subsidized units as it can build. But at the same time, the market has to continue to be building in all these different other parts of the of the spectrum in order for the entire housing market to be efficient and, and whatnot. So it's it really is we need all of it to happen and and the private sector will not fill the subsidized housing market no matter how innovative and efficient it is it's it's not going to happen but if you really if you want to build housing supply across most of the spectrum the government's not going to do it either it needs to be the private sector because it can leverage capital and whatnot so right these are all the things where i think we we we, we fall into these really easy kind of descriptions of of things and um you know that that business is more efficient. You know, in certain cases, yes, it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, as entrepreneurs, as your own bosses, uh, you need to raise money. You need to raise capital. You were talking about the fact that you're what an inaugural member of the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network, and I know that network really helps uh, connect entrepreneurs to uh, funders. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, fundraising journey? Well, it's funny. I was actually thinking about fundraising in the context of of my journey through these three different sectors. So again, started out in the nonprofit sector, moved to government, and now with GoCamp. And in in the nonprofit sector, I, w- I was fortunate to get to do work that I really believed in. We were uh, you know, very focused on getting good food to kids in public schools. But the challenge uh, every day was always the grant funding. You know, you're constantly selling your idea and trying to sell it to a private foundation or a, you know someone with resources that's gonna support your work moved to USDA, and I'm still doing really good mission-oriented work, but to the point that you just made earlier, I I was in this ginormous bureaucracy, and the pace of change was really slow. So for me, GoCamp, one of the things that was so exciting to me about it was I wasn't going to be writing any grant proposals, and I could move as quickly as I wanted. Um, I actually very consciously decided I, I wasn't going to raise a lot of capital for GoCamp, which is why the peer-to-peer you know, car sharing model was, was really intriguing to me. There are plenty of companies out there, rental car companies, that will buy inventory and, and rent them out, and I didn't have the resources to do that. But I was super excited about having something to sell that I knew the public you know, writ large was interested in buying. No more grant proposals for me. So that was awesome. And, you know, it's funny that we're having this conversation about accessory dwelling units at the same time because 
the reason I knew people would pay for a week-long vacation in, you know, in the greater Pacific Northwest is because I have an Airbnb-basement apartment. And it was astonishing to me how full my basement apartment was all summer long with people coming you know, internationally and, and across the country to visit the Northwest. So for us at Go Camp, you know, honestly, right now, I don't want to raise capital. I want to be, you know, I want to grow um, thoughtfully and I want to, um, you know, grow, grow based on uh, what we can support with the inventory that we have, which is inventory that I'm not buying. So the model is really similar to Get Around. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with Get Around? Yep, it's, yes. Yeah, it's it's similar to Turo. It's similar to Get Around, and honestly, it's similar to Airbnb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a camper van and it's sitting in your driveway, put it on Go Camp, and it'll be rented all summer long. Sometimes I wonder if Airbnb could monetize the phrase "the Airbnb of." It gets becoming. You know, I, I don't think. I think if they had realized what kind of tagline it was yeah, going to become, they, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Kleenex right, right. now. Right, yeah. right, right. Patrick, tell us more about the financing model, since financing housing is the nut everyone is trying to crack. We have our own unique funding needs and, and funding models, so um, I'm trying. Uh, not to, you know, one of the things that was appealing about this business is it, it wasn't one of these typical venture-funded businesses where we'd have to go and pitch to, you know, to a ton of VCs to, in order to to grow this. It's a it's a scalable business um, uh, with the potential to be even self self-funding. You know, get into the complications, but you know, we can sell units as well as as well as. Um, do our lease model it's not doesn't need equity we really what we ultimately are going to do is have investors who are investing in our in our units basically and and there's a lot of um, uh, investors who want to invest in real estate and and once we get to the scale uh, where we where we can offer you know big enough investment opportunity it, it's it's going to be a fascinating conversation with the, with the real estate investment community because this is, they don't have anything like this. It's a really interesting, diversified portfolio of small units, small, you know, with all small income streams, but you aggregate it up and you can, you can have a real return and it doesn't, but it's not dependent on one single project. So, mm -hmm. so that's really ultimately where we're going to be on the investment side. The business itself, like I said, can be fairly, fairly self-sufficient. Um, and, and I do think, you know, we're probably on the tail end of this big, surge in VC money, particularly as we see companies that have been funded and, and haven't gone anywhere. So it's also part of that. We don't want to be dependent on a, on a model that may not, may not have legs. So are you, like Deborah, making the rounds of some of the entrepreneurial groups in, in town? Uh, well, do you I, have to explain to people that you are wearing a different hat these days? Yeah, we're not really in that mode. I'm, 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 I'm more kind of knee-deep in, in permitting and, and those kind of things and, and building out our own um, network of, of uh, contractors and other kind of third-party folks that help us get our projects done. Um, I do have the benefit of, of having um, worked with a lot of these folks for probably a decade or more, not, or more. so I, I kind of know the whole, the whole gang. Right. So um, I see them a lot and, and they know what I'm up to, but we haven't made any formal requests yet. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. right. Deborah, do you view GoCamp as a literal vehicle to get more people outside? Oh my gosh, no, it's absolutely a business about getting people outside. I, you know, I, 
I mean, that's the common thread throughout my career. If I don't believe in it passionately, I'm not doing it. And um, I actually took up whitewater kayaking about five years ago, late in life, and uh, it became literally all I ever wanted to do. And just that whole you know, notion of being outside and being unplugged, being away from your phone, not being reachable, um, is a gift that we, you know, so many of us don't have anymore. We were so attached to our cellular devices. So that's a big piece of GoCamp for me is both getting people out camping and, you know, into, into nature, but also getting them unplugged and creating a space for them to have really sweet family time. Um, you know, a lot of the campers that we rent are the pop-top version, and so they're perfect for families who've got little kids that like to, you know, mm-hmm. be up in those top bunks. I mean, we get feedback from the families all the time about, you know, how easy we made it and how, you know, how they probably wouldn't have gone. gone. They, they wouldn't have had that family experience if it hadn't been for the fact that it was just, you know, a matter of buying groceries and hopping in this camper van and going. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, that, you know, the schlep of all the gear is a huge detriment. And yeah, no, we're, we're, we're not the cool camper van rental company. You know, there's a lot of, you know, adventurous get out there and I don't know, scale the biggest peak. We're for families that just, you know, haven't spent enough time together, haven't been outside enough, need a break. There are other cool camper vans. Oh companies? yes, yeah. Oh right. I wasn't aware of them. Well, I just like all the street folks and with people who uh-huh. just want. But they're rental, I guess. You rent them. Yeah, you know, they're in their their flannel. And they've got their polar blankets, and you know, their gear, and they look perfect. And well, ours is more about you know, just go make some s'mores, get your marshmallows. Mm-hmm. You know. I can't tell you how many times we would uh, go camping. And you load the stuff up, and you think you've done a good job of organizing. And you know, you forget. And then, something. and then you get out there, and something's yeah. broken, and then you remember, oh, it's right, it was broken last, last time, year. and we didn't yeah. fix it, or yeah, we, yeah, no, you know, we're missing that key thing, and you got to drive back in. For us, it was always the tent stakes. It was yeah. like if we have the tent, and it's windy, there's no tent stakes. My kids can tell a story about us camping one time without stakes, without uh, any of the. Yeah. yeah. Or there's supports. like you're a family of four, and there's only three pillows. Right. <laughs> or it's raining and you forgot the tarp on the tent. All of it, yeah. yeah. And I just like these vans are loaded. They're just ready to go. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's fun. Keep coming back to that. That's right. Well, that's an important element of it. I'm guessing that, in fact, many entrepreneurs share your uh, sentiments around the idea of fun. That it's just fun to be nimble in that way and pursue what your dream, your passion. It's a cliche, but it's you know, it was so cliche. I have to say, and you know, I, I kept trying to think of something else that I would enjoy doing. And I literally just came back to, no, I really like camping. I'm not going to, I can't deny it. You know, I love being outside. I love camping. That's what I'm going to do. You know, Lena, you were asking about our kids earlier, and I and I think, I'm not sure that I'm saying, like, the clear, they want to be entrepreneurs and they want to work in government or whatever, but this whole idea of a purpose mm-hmm. is what I, I mean, I see in my kids and I see it over and over again. I really do think next generation in their careers wants to have a sense of purpose and I think businesses like these are examples whether they're the entrepreneur or they're just working there that 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 you know kind of have that purpose so that people go to work every day there's you know they really love the idea of helping people go camping or really love the idea of building housing I I do think that's going to be far more true of of this next generation that they're just going to demand that the places that they spend the bulk of their day have a true sense of purpose and beyond just a nice set of company values like, mm-hmm. like the company really is doing something to make the world better 
I get a charge too, I have to say, out of just sharing the Pacific Northwest with people and introducing them to some of the you know iconic national parks that we have out here. You know, Crater Lake and Olympic National Park were big, you know, destinations for folks last year. And I mean, they just come back with these stories about, you know, that was the first national park I visited. I'm going to go visit four more now. You know, they get their passport, those will get their stamps, and, and they're off and running to the park system. So, yeah, I just, I feel like it's opening a world of possibility to folks. Right. Well, thanks, Patrick and Deborah, for sharing your insights and experiences, and good luck on the entrepreneurial journey. You've been listening to the Oregon Business Broadcast, produced by the Oregon Business Editorial Team. Music for today's episode is from Rodrigo Vicente, Today's World. Thanks for listening.